thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damian Kristoff. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicating bringing wellness into our lives. And today we actually have a very special guest. Um, Dr. Helen is a naturopath and a nutritionist. She specializes in working with children and adults with autism, ASD, ADHD, asthma, eczema, and allergies. Uh, she's passionate about educating and empowering individuals and families to understand the underlying cause of digestive, immune, and neurological disorders. And she feels confident to make healthy, proactive choices. Now, I believe... Um, Dr. Helen, was you met uh, Brett over at the Mind Forum recently. Brett, would you like to just uh, sort of ask the first question or at least introduce uh, how you met and why you felt that Dr. Helen would be the perfect person for a Wellness Guys interview? Yeah, yeah, I met Helen at a Mind event in Sydney, which was fantastic. And, uh, and she did a couple of presentations, I believe it was, on that day. And, uh, and I was just really impressed with her knowledge and her background and, and particularly some of the stuff that she did on fermented foods, which I've been sort of been really interested in. I've obviously been, as people know, if they've been listening, I've been getting into kombucha and loving that. And so I was particularly interested in Helen's presentations around that. So, uh, so Helen, welcome to the show. And, and I thought you might like to be able to start by telling us, you know, how you got an interest in that area and, and particularly what your background is in around, you know, gut health and brain health and all those sort of things. You know, give, give us a bit of your background and how you got to be where you are now and, and obviously sharing the amazing information that you're sharing. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Um, I'm a naturopath, as you've stated. I've been um, practicing for about 13 years now and... Uh, over the years, as each of you will have experienced, you gradually pick up bits of information and tools and insights here and there. And um, after a few years of practicing and working with people with chronic um, gut disorders, I was also working alongside um, Anthony Underwood, a paediatrician in Sydney, and he specializes in biomed treatment of kids with autism. And so I had this exposure to the autism world and and um, as many people may be um, becoming aware of now, a lot of kids with autism and ASD have a lot of gut issues going on. So um, both with the kids with the gut issues and just the general person coming in with the candida overgrowth or something like that, um, I was finding I was getting success with treating gut disorders, but as soon as you'd stop treatment or um, something in the diet would change, you'd get a return of the symptoms. And so I was looking for a way of preventing that cycle from happening, basically. And one of the most powerful tools I came across in clinic was actually using fermented foods. Um, and since that point, I haven't uh, turned back, haven't looked back. So really excited to get people eating more of these foods. Helen, there's a lot of chat about um, fermented foods, heaps of people talking about them and, uh, and a few years ago there was a company and I noticed on, one of your web, on your website that you actually linked through to a company called New Firm where they use a probiotic or a prebiotic that actually allows um, you know, good bacteria to grow in the gut as a result of fermentation of you know, different fruits like prunes, etc., etc. But uh, th there is a big push and a big move towards fermented foods. What, what is the big deal with fermented foods at the moment? Yeah. I love that it's becoming a bit of a craze at the moment. Um, so when I first started um, talking to the to people about these foods, you know, no one knew what I was on about and just kept looking at me with this strange face like I was asking them to eat rotten vegetables or something. But it's it's far from that. They're actually really delicious. But 
the point or the importance of them are these are foods that we have evolved on for thousands of years and we from these foods we're getting this daily intake of um, enzymes and probiotics and all these really beneficial acids that helped our immune system and our anti-carcinogenic and so on. And then we had the advent of uh, the industrialised um, food. So we had fridges coming into the picture and canning. And so we, never, we didn't need to preserve our foods in that same way anymore. So we lost that art of fermentation. And along with that, we lost that daily intake of a really medicinal food. So you know, I often say to people, I think we would have a, a much different looking healthcare system if the only change we made was to get everybody eating fermented foods again. Yeah, great call. I like it a lot. Yeah. Mm. I actually I actually just recently started having kombucha again after not having it for nearly twenty something years. And uh, and I'm enjoying it, I have to say. And and sauerkraut, I had sauerkraut once at a Korean restaurant and it must have been very different to what I've just created because I'm enjoying my sauerkraut. So <laughs> yeah, really different. Yeah. Well that's what I love about it as well, you know, with the fermented foods there are just so many different types of it. You know, most people are familiar with sauerkraut or kimchi, you know, the, the German or the Korean versions. But truth is most cultures around the world have some form of fermented food in their traditional diet. And so along with that comes thousands of recipes, you know, and, and you don't need a recipe either, you know, whatever, whatever veggies you like, whatever herbs you like, spices you like, you can make great veggie concoctions, you can make beautiful beverages with things like kombucha and water kefir and um, coconut water kefir and, you know, the, the um, possibilities are, are limitless basically in terms of flavour. So whatever your taste preferences, there's going to be something that you like. Thanks for correcting me there. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, this, you know, some of the listeners might be going, those words are just so foreign to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. So could we just sort of get some baseline on um, what is fermented foods and okay. actually, you know, so that people actually understand, you know, the difference of, you know, what's fermented, how to make it and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So everyone's familiar with fermented foods to some degree. So things like yogurt, cheese, beer, wine, these are all traditionally fermented foods and drinks. And, and basically what fermented means is that we're allowing beneficial bacteria and or yeasts to um, start a process on the food that creates a bunch of enzymes. It boosts the nutrient density, so you get tons more vitamins and minerals from the food as well. Makes them much easier to digest, and as a result, has a has a bunch of um, great health benefits that goes with it. So um, things like fermented veggies, for example, what you might be doing there is grating up your veggies, adding some spices, either using a culture starter or some salt, something like that, and then you're packing it all into a jar and. Um, in an airtight environment, you're allowing it to sit at room temperature for a number of days or weeks or even months. And that sounds weird to us these days because we're so used to keeping all our food in the fridge and, and making sure that bugs stay away. But bugs are actually our friends long, as long as we're um, cultivating the right ones, basically. So we're, we're letting microbes make our food better for us, basically. So, Helen, perhaps we can start by just giving people a basic idea. I mean, probably, is sauerkraut, you know, is that one of the more common ones that, that you see that people have? Um, and, and perhaps you could give an idea of, like, how you actually make sauerkraut. Like, what goes into that and how is that made? 
Yes, yeah, so sauerkraut is um, probably the most common one that people know of and, and it's made of um, cabbage. So as a couple of herbs are added to it um, or you can make it without herbs as well. Traditionally, the way to make sauerkraut is with your grated cabbage or chopped up cabbage and some salt and some liquid whey, which is that um, clear liquid that you'll see when your yogurt separates. So that liquid whey has lots of lactobacilli in there. So a lot of people have heard of acidophilus and bifidobacteria and things like that that are in yogurt. Well, those, those bacteria in yogurt can help to start your vegetables. So um, once you grate up your vegetables and add your culture starter, which in this case is the whey, you allow your veggies to, to ferment for an, a given period of time. So the, the minimum time is usually four to seven days depending on your climate and it can be up to months. So um, these days we've got the benefit of convenience in the form of culture starters that you can get in a sachet. So companies like um, Body Ecology, for example, make vegetable culture starters um, but, or you can just use salt. But I do prefer to use either way or a culture starter just to make sure you get a guaranteed outcome. I like that a lot actually, Helen. But you know, I was just wondering, just wondering, like how much of that liquid, clear liquid would you need from your yogurt tub as your yogurt separates? Because, you know, inevitably you get to the end of the yogurt tub and there's that clear liquid there and you go, oh, should I have that? Should I tip that down the sink? But you're now saying that we can actually make some food from it. Oh, so yeah. how much of that would we need? You only need um, a couple of dessert spoons to a couple of tablespoons. So not, so not a lot at all. And what I usually recommend doing is just pouring that through a tea strainer or some um, cloth just to get the dairy solids out of it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you can just um, use a couple of tablespoons of the whey in anything from um, a kilo to 10 kilos of veggies. I like it. Now, there's a whole lot of different probiotics that you can get, like, you know, probiotics from you know, whole heaps of different companies that have different strains of bacteria, bifido um, and acidophilus types bacteria. Now, is there, is there any benefit in using or breaking any of those capsules into some of those foods? Would that be better for you as well or would you just better off taking those as a capsule? Um, you can certainly use those as a starter. I've done that before as well. So particularly um, probiotics that are lactobacillus-based, uh, they're um, very good for starting your fermented vegetables. Mm, sure. Just got a quick question, Helen. I know this sounds like, might sound like a very stupid question, but what about, um, you know, can you have too much fermented food? Is there any side effects or is there some things that, you know, you couldn't eat too much of it? Is there any bad things about yeah. it? Okay, that's a really good question. So um, first of all, when you start eating fermented veggies, it's a good idea or any fermented food for that matter. So um, it's a good idea to start off with a small amount at a time. There's a couple of reasons for this. Um, when you're eating fermented foods, two things can happen. You can either have a big detox effect or a big die-off effect if you have a large amount all at once. And the reason for that is because you're having probiotic food, and the probiotics in the food are in their food source. So they're really active and ready to get to work as soon as you ingest them. So you're eating all these good bugs. If you've got overgrowths in your gut, which chances are these days, you probably do. And that's thanks to our modern diet and our environment and our stress levels and the chemicals we're exposed to and the medications that we've taken. 
the chances are you've got an overgrowth of bacteria. So you're eating all these good bugs. They're going to start killing off some of those opportunistic microbes that are overgrowing. Now, when they die, your liver has to actually step up. It needs to do some extra work because it has to break down all the byproducts from those dead bacteria. So if you do that too much too soon, your liver's going to have problems keeping up with that. And what's going to happen then is you're going to feel a little worse for wear for anything from a couple of hours to a day or so. And that could be you might be having headaches or cold and flu symptoms or muscle aches or an exacerbation of um, some current digestive symptoms that you've already got. So you want to go slowly with that and then gradually build it up. And for different people, it takes different amount of time. So I always recommend starting on about a teaspoon a day. And if you feel good on that after a couple of days, you increase it to a couple of teaspoons and so on. Um, until you're having half a cup or a cup a day, um, whatever's suitable. Uh, if you increase it at all and you feel any of those unpleasant symptoms, then you know it's time just to step it back for a bit longer, give your body a bit more time to adjust, and then you can increase it again later. So that's how to increase it. In terms of can you have any of the um, bad bugs in there, well, we're very fortunate that we've got our senses of sight and smell and generally speaking if something goes wrong with your fermentation you really know about it, it, it they're going um, uh, is that okay should I eat it should I not if it's wrong you know straight away I shouldn't eat that because you'll get a very pungent smell um, a um, colored mold on top things like that so if you have signs like that when you're making it then you don't want to eat it but that generally doesn't happen too often which is good right so it kind of sounds like it sounds like brett's jacket that he wore to the summit well i don't know where to go with that Damo. but <laughs> helen um obviously there's heaps of different options you can have for, for fermented mm -hmm. food so perhaps you can take us through like what, what in an average week like you're saying you might have a half a cup to a cup a day like what would that include for you? What sort of fermented foods would you include in that? Okay, so the most common ones I have myself are fermented veggies of any um, variety. So I do like cabbage, red or green. I, um, I love doing a beetroot cabbage and carrot combo with cumin seeds and ginger. That's really good. Um, but any, any combo of veggies basically and I might have some of that with my First, say if I have eggs or salmon for breakfast, um, then I love having some fermented veggies with that. I can have it with my lunch, mix it into my salads or um, as a side with dinner as well. Um, I also love my kombucha. So I've converted a lot of people to fermented foods by starting with kombucha as well. It's a great thing, as you'd know, Brett, from um, getting into making it lately as well. It looks love like it, a bit of a science. <laughs> looks like you've got a bit of a science lab in your in your kitchen or your lounge room. So, so it's like it's a you just like look oh, after it each day yeah. and you know check in on it and top it yeah. up and it's fantastic. Yeah. You get quite protective of them. <laughs> And um, they make a great conversation piece when you have guests around as well. And they're like, oh, my God, what is that? And um, upon having a taste, you have some new convertees. So that's nice. Um, so kombucha, depending, again, on what your state of health is like, you could have anything from a shot glass of it to a few glasses a day, um, depending what you're, where you are and what you're trying to achieve. Um, we also have coconut water kefir which is fantastic for kids with allergies and um, digestive issues yeast overgrowth things like that 
Um, the same with water kefir. It's the best way to make a fizzy drink, basically. Um, so if you want healthy fizzy drink for your kids, then um, your water kefir is a great option there. And How do you for make those, that? What do you do there? How do you make kefir? So um, you have what's called kefir grains, which aren't actually grains, but they're these little kind of spongy blobs, basically. I call them my babies. And um, you just pop a couple, about a quarter cup of these grains into a jar with a litre of water and a quarter cup of sugar. And you just let that ferment at room temperature or in a hot water heater cupboard for about two or three days. And then you strain the grains out of it and then you can flavour it with whatever you want. So you can put some grated ginger in there or you can put some um, vanilla extract in there and make like a creaming, creaming soda. Um, you can put fresh juice in there. So if you've got a juicer at home, you can juice some apples or some pears or some lemons, something like that. You can do all sorts of flavours. It's really limitless. Oh, that sounds delicious. Sounds yeah. yum. I'm I sure there's going to be a heap of people actually trying that out. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, Helen, you, I think earlier on while we were off air, we spoke about biofilm. Um, and we, we spoke, and I mean, maybe even in the start of this call, we talked about biofilm. Having fermented foods, is it a particularly important thing to to do in order to get your biofilm corrected? Yeah, um, it is because we want to uh, – a lot of people might not know what biofilm is. So just to start off with that, biofilm is a bit like invisibility cloak for bugs. And we have good biofilm and we have bad biofilm, so to speak. And what happens is in um, circumstances where – you have a chronic inflammatory condition or a chronic immune condition or a chronic gut condition, chances are you've got some a biofilm infection, which means you might take antimicrobial um, treatment, whether it's pharmaceutical, and you might get improvement while you're taking it, and then you stop taking the treatment, and then the infection or the inflammation comes back. And that's because you have these microbes that are living behind the biofilm, and that biofilm protects them both from our immune system and also from the medication. So you stop taking the medication and then they can start swimming out and causing havoc again, basically. So what we want to do is create an internal environment that fosters the growth of all the good guys so that we have good biofilm growing in our guts. Because um, I'm very passionate about microbes and the reason being is we're actually outnumbered more than 10 to 1 by bugs. So if you have a think about that, We've got 10 times as many bacteria, viruses, yeast, parasites and so on in us and on us than we do human cells. We're actually more bug DNA than human DNA. And when you think about that, you start to realise how important it is to have the right kind of bugs in your gut. So having the fermented foods um, in your diet on a regular basis is one of the best things that you can do to maintain your health and wellness. So. That's impressive with the numbers of bacteria. More, I've never yeah. heard of that from that perspective. Um, oh, let's talk that just about blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what about some? You know, you talk. We've been talking a lot about fermented foods and bacteria mm -hmm. and the biofilm. What happened? I mean, we discussed it in other shows as well, but I think it's important from, to come from your perspective on this. What happens yeah. when the bacteria, um, I guess, balances out of whack in our systems? Like, what mm -hmm. are some of the things that people should be expecting? to yeah. see or symptomatically um, in behavior, emotion, and also physically? 
Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll start off with um, the functions, some of the functions of these bacteria. They have hundreds of functions in the body, but they range from, I guess, <coughs> excuse me, what could be the, considered the basics of digestion and absorption, so helping us to break down our foods and assimilate the nutrients. They're involved in cholesterol metabolism. They're in involved in hormone metabolism. They make neurotransmitters. Um, so things like serotonin, for example, and dopamine for that matter. Most of our serotonin is actually in, the in our gut and produced in our gut. And we have 95% of it there and just 5% in the brain. So if we, for example, don't have the right kind of microbes there that are involved in serotonin and dopamine production, we're going to get symptoms of sleeplessness or depression or anxiety or, you know, living in that kind of fight or flight state where you're tired but wired and, and um, feeling stressed a lot all the time. So simple things like that can be due to your microbial um, flora. Other things that you might experience is digestive problems, so um, bloating, indigestion, um, stomach ulcers, mouth ulcers, constipation, diarrhea, um, you name it. If there's a digestive symptom there, chances are you've got um, an imbalance in your gut flora. Um, they can also produce behavioral um, abnormalities or, or problems. So we find a lot um, of this in kids with ASD as well where there might be hyperactivity or obsessive impulsive behaviours and that can be linked to overgrowths of things like strep in the gut, for example, um, or clostridia. So different kinds of overgrowths can be um, related to different sets of symptoms that we experience as a result. Uh, hormone problems can also result from these imbalance in bacteria. So polycystic ovary syndrome or endometriosis um, can um, be a couple of outcomes or you might have problems with regulating your blood sugar levels and because of their major role in immune function we also see big things happening with um, immune disorders so anything from asthma and allergies and hay fever to um, chronic or recurrent infections uh, to autoimmune illnesses can all be brought back to what's your bug balance like so really important to have a look at what is and isn't growing it's a massive list, isn't it, Helen? And it's amazing that they can all be linked back to, to gut health. And so, you know, obviously at the Mind Forum, you know, one of the things I spoke about a lot was that gut-brain connection. And a lot of people sort of balk at that and think, well, hang on, how can the gut bacteria be having such an impact on my brain? So what's the link there? Like how does the gut bacteria affect the brain function? So in the gut we have this um, arm of the nervous system called the enteric nervous system. And it actually has more nerve cells or brain cells in it than your head brain does. So that um, saying of trust your gut feeling and, and um, listen to your gut and things like that is actually quite apt because you've got a bigger brain there than you do in your head. Because of that, we use the same chemicals uh, for communication in terms of digestion and the gut as well as what's going on in your head brain. So all the chemicals like the serotonin and dopamine, for example, they're used um, for functions in the gut as well as in the brain. So there's this really close um, common connection between the two symptoms and what goes on in one of those uh, systems will affect what happens in the other. So one of the things that's uh, what regards to what you just talked about 
regards to, you know, I mean, let's talk about gut function as well in terms of the brain development. I think that's fascinating to know that there's way more neurotransmitters in the gut than the brain. But one of the things that you deal with is ADHD with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of this, I think we talked about, I've seen on your website, and I actually remember hearing about this many times with the MindForm stuff, is that actually helping kids is actually improving their gut function. Can you talk about, you know, how does that work in terms of why that might actually be an important aspect to look for when you're dealing with ADHD kids? Yeah, uh, it's such a cornerstone Um for, for a lot of the reasons that we've already mentioned. But if we're looking at things like your microbial balance, for example, um, if that is out of whack, then things like your um, neurotransmitter production is unlikely to be balanced. So you will be more in that fight or flight state. And when you look at kids with ADHD, they're in that constant state of being stressed and overwhelmed, for example. So we want to be able to foster the production of those calming, happy, rest and digest neurotransmitters, um, serotonin and dopamine. And we can begin to achieve that by addressing the microflora in the gut. Another thing that goes on is what we often see is that there's a situation called leaky gut, otherwise known as intestinal hyperpermeability. And what happens there is we get these tiny little gaps between the cells in the gut wall and we get the absorption of molecules that are normally too big to be absorbed. And so they're not broken down properly and they get into the bloodstream and some of these molecules can cross the blood-brain barrier. And as a result, they can attach to receptors in the brain that um, cater for for very similar-looking chemicals. So an example of this, for example, is uh, casein and gluten, so the proteins from um, wheat and dairy and things like that. So if these proteins aren't broken down properly, we get these peptides that uh, get absorbed from the gut wall into the bloodstream across the blood-brain barrier, and they actually have a very similar shape to opiates. So they attach to opiate receptors in the brain, and they're therefore associated with symptoms of uh, high pain tolerance, zoning out, fatigue, low energy, um, inability to concentrate, uh, problems with speech and eye contact. And we often see taking kids off these foods They'll get quite dramatic um, improvements in those symptoms and often reasonably quickly as well. I love all that. I love all that. There's, uh, we, as naturopaths, obviously, Helen, you and I have worked a lot with the gut and helping children out uh, through the years. And there's a whole lot more to, to come, I think, as we understand more about the gut-brain uh, interaction. What I'm loving understanding at the moment and talking about at the moment is that every single human being on the planet has a negative response to gluten. In that when I say negative response, the tight junctions in the gut are affected by the protein gluten. Um, And what I learned today as well, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, was that there's cross-reactivity with other proteins in the case of celiac disease. And so where there's a decline in the tight junctions or the the tightness of of the cell junctions in the gut, that if there's other proteins that are poorly digested, so for example, like you mentioned before, casein, um, or maybe if there's sugars, for example, some of the sugars that were found in, in foods like lactose or fructose, these sorts of things um, can also mount a similar sort of response to give similar sorts of symptoms to what might have been found in celiac disease, but they may not have celiac disease. I just think that's unreal. 
Yeah, and the same can be said for proteins from um, soy foods these days as well. So there's a lot of cross-reactivity there. And yeah, sure. it's one, one reason um, why around 70% of people with celiac disease don't actually get a full recovery when they just remove gluten from their diet. So, yeah, um, yeah usually there's a lot more going on. Part of that is the cross-reactivity um, with other proteins. But it also has to do with their gut flora too. And yes, then there's this other element um, of the population that doesn't have celiac disease but most definitely has a reaction to gluten, yeah. And so, Helen, if I had a child who was, uh, who was suffering, who perhaps had uh, autism or had, uh, you know, something on that spectrum or, or was just suffering, you know, generally concentration, whatever it may be, um, yeah. how do I find out whether it, the gut might be linked in there? Like, is there actually tests I can do or is it just a matter of working on the gut health anyway because that's important anyway and, and seeing whether it makes a difference? There are tests that you can do for leaky gut, for example, but to be honest, I never use them. I do use um, stool tests. I find them extremely useful. Um, so a good stool test, not one, not one from your um, average, uh, you know, normal GP, but a functional stool test is going to show you what is and is not growing in your gut that should that should and should not be. So we're not looking just for um, infections, but we're looking for overgrowths and also looking for undergrowths. And that tells us a lot more about what's going on in the gut rather than do you have leaky gut, yes or no, because chances are if you've got any of the set of symptoms that we've discussed. So um, generally speaking, we go straight for doing gut work, but we do, um, well, I do like to test the stool so that we know exactly what it is that we're working for. And that would be the most, um, useful test that I find in, in, um, determining mode of action, course of action. Yeah. Helen, thank you so much. I mean, that's uh, that was a great interview and there's so much information there. I learned so much about fermented foods that I never thought uh, I would get to learn in such a short period of time. Um, if you want to know more information about uh, Helen or just contact her, uh, you can go to nourish dot, uh, sorry, nourish-ed.com. That's N-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-D.com. I believe you also have another website called uh, bestme.co.nz. So uh, thank you again so, mu- so much, Helen. Really appreciate that. Been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And uh, to all those listeners, I'd uh, love to hear more about uh, your thoughts on this particular interview and your thoughts about her concepts and principles. Um, join us on Facebook and keep this conversation going at our the Wellness Guys Facebook website or the Wellness Couch. Uh, while you're there, like us if you haven't already, and make sure you share this podcast with your friends, your families, and other strangers you think that they need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes as well while you're there, and uh, leave us a five-star rating and, and a beautiful comment on there while, uh, because you know how love, Damien loves it. So until next week, begin creating, creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.